verse 20, that triggered in Jesus' mind that the appointed hour had arrived. Jesus came for a purpose. He, he didn't just come to show himself as the Messiah and the Son of God and say, here I am, and now I'm leaving to go back, see you all later, maybe, hopefully, someday. No, Jesus came with a very specific purpose and mission in mind, and that mission was to come and to give his life as a ransom for the salvation, not of just Israel, but for the salvation of the world, of Jews and Gentiles alike. Jesus was the Savior given for all of mankind. And so in John chapter 12, verse 20, there's this moment where suddenly at the end of Jesus' public ministry, the, these Greeks come. They're coming for the Passover, and they're coming to Jerusalem. And the question that they all of a sudden have is, they're hearing Jesus, his triumphal entry, and all these people are praising Jesus, who would eventually crucify him. But at this moment, they're exalting his name as he humbly rides in on a donkey on a colt, and they ask, we want to see Jesus. We, too, want to see who this Jesus is. And so Jesus, when that happens, Jesus says, now my hour has come. Now the Son of Man, it is time for him to suffer on the cross and to make atonement for our sins and then to rise triumphantly from the grave. Now is the hour that the Son of Man is to be glorified and lifted up. And so Jesus sees that the hour is at hand. And so as John now is taking us in chapter 13 to 17, he, he's leading up now to that final hour. We're, we're within that final hour where these events are going to transpire. Jesus is going to minister to his own disciples as he prepares them for what's to come, for his departure and glorification. And so chapters 13 to 17 focus on that. And what it specifically focuses on, I think we see here, and this is the really kind of the theme for this morning's message is it it really sets before us the enduring and unique love that Jesus has for his own disciples. I think that is so important for us to, to understand this morning, that God so loved the world that he gave his son. God so loved the world that he desired to give his son that whosoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life, right? But God uniquely loved you and me to such an extent that he didn't just come and display that love on the cross like he did for the world, but he actually came and in his love, he saved you. Because of his love for you and for me very specifically, he actually chose to redeem you out of the world. There are many people in the world who hear the gospel, but they remain in the world. They reject the gospel. They remain in the world. They remain in darkness. They will be punished for their sin. But, but you and I, beloved, this morning... We have believed and heard and received the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did we receive Jesus when they perished? 
Why did we come to Christ and believe on him when the world continues to reject him? It's because Jesus loves you to the uttermost. You are special to him. You belong to him, and he has given you a gift to demonstrate that, that he loves you uniquely. If it was not for the love of Christ to the uttermost for us, none of us would be in the kingdom of God. And so this is what we're going to see this morning is this love of Christ displayed. Jesus is going to show the the disciples in this picture of washing their feet just how much he loves them and the level of humility and love that it, it, it took for him to become a servant of men to ultimately go to the cross. The, the, the foot washing isn't the pinnacle of his life, but it's a display of love that ultimately is going to be displayed when he gives his life as a ransom for us. And so we're going into this ministry now of Jesus to his disciples, to me and you, and love is really going to be the overarching theme of that. And so let us look this morning at John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17, okay? John 13, verses 1 to 17, and and really... There's three points here before I read it. If you want to take notes, three points I'm going to highlight that I think John brings out here. John 13, 1 is going to highlight the, the nature of that enduring love, that love to the uttermost. Okay, That's just coming from verse 1, love to the uttermost. So we're going to see and kind of reflect on that a bit. Uh, the second point is going to come from verses 2 to 11, and it's and we're going to see that Jesus' love is to the uttermost, but it's also a love that cleanses us. It, 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 his love in going to the cross cleanses us. It, it washes us. That's verses 2 to 11. And thirdly, and this is the one I think we probably struggle with the most, is his love is given to us as an example to follow. That's where we struggle. His love is so great. And we are so weak that he says, this is how I loved you, verses 12 to 17, and this is the example that you are to follow. And so we'll look at that as well. So let's hear the word of God. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. 
Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the testimony that John gives us regarding the Lord Jesus Christ, your begotten Son. We thank you, O God, for your love. We pray, O God, that you would help us now to understand your word in a, in a bit more detail. I pray for wisdom and strength and that you would be with me as I speak, that you would keep me from wandering off into vain philosophies or things that would hurt your people, but that you would keep my tongue faithful to your word, that you might be exalted as you intended, that Jesus might be put on display as you intended, that we might leave here equipped for good works and prepared to follow your example. Oh God, we pray for your grace, for the blessing of the Holy Spirit to be among us and to work among us. In Jesus' name, amen. So here in verse 1, John describes the nature of Jesus's love to the utmost for his own. You'll see there in verse 1, he says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. The words there, to the end, they can mean two different things. It, it can mean, and this is the way we're taking it, to the uttermost. Jesus loved his own, who he saved out of the world, to the uttermost. This is, I mean, there, there's no greater way that he could 
demonstrate his love. Or it could mean, if you take it temporarily, temporarily, not temporarily, temporarily, they can mean to the very end, which means that Jesus loved his own to the very end of his, his ministry and his life. You see the difference, right? I, either way, however you take it, to the very end of his life, Jesus loved them, or Jesus loved them to the uttermost. The point is this, is that no matter what happened, John is telling us here, that Jesus, knowing his hour had come, Jesus endured in a perfect love for his own people. And he, he will never fail in loving his own people, his disciples, who were with him. And I want you to keep this in mind as we've been going through the Gospel of John. The, you might sit there and hear that and think like, yeah, I've heard about Jesus' love, and Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And you might, you might tend to kind of almost let that, that idea just sort of pass off of you. That Jesus loves his own to the very end can become so familiar to us that Jesus loves us that we actually fail to realize just how remarkable that is when we understand just exactly how unlovable they were and we are. We kind of want to say, yes, Jesus loves me, this I know, because I am so worthy of that love, and the Bible tells me so, right? That's not what the scripture says, like, and it's not what we see in the Gospels. When John says he loved them to the very end, to the uttermost, John is looking at his life, and he's looking at the life of the disciples, and he is remembering that in all of their weaknesses, in, in all of their idiosyncrasies, all of those weird, quirky things about them. In all of the times that they were proud, when in, even in this case, when Peter rises up and says, you shall never do this, Lord. Or, or when, when John and, and I think it's James, when they say, Jesus, we want to sit at your right hand and left hand when you go into glory. And Jesus has to rebuke them. Or when they bicker with each other and they argue with one another and he sees their immaturity and he sees their weakness and, and, and John is saying, and he still loved us when, when we are displaying before him such characteristics of, of proud hearts. When we're, when we're so apathetic and we're so weak and we're so lazy. And he loved them. He loves you to the uttermost, even when you are weak and lowly and sick, even when you're sick and weak and lowly and burdened, Jesus still loves you. And 
that, that really is at the heart of the gospel. Because sometimes, and in the world, people want to present the gospel to you in such a way that the gospel is that Jesus will love you and will keep loving you if you keep loving him and if you keep doing the things that Jesus wants you to do and you obey his commandments, then Jesus will keep loving you. Is, is that not what you hear? Keep loving Jesus, and Jesus will keep loving you. And what that is, is it turns the gospel exactly on its head. It, it turns it upside down, because suddenly the good news is not that Jesus loved you and showed you grace when you had done nothing for him. That's the gospel. The gospel, if you turn it around like that, becomes the gospel is good news when you do what you need to do, and then Jesus will show you his love. There's no hope in that. There's no forgiveness in that gospel. It's not even a gospel because at the end of the day, we all will prove ourselves failures in obeying and serving Jesus. We all will fall short of fulfilling the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. You and I won't make it we will not succeed. This is why Paul tells Titus that you are not saved by your good works, but you are saved by his. And his ultimate good work is that he was going to go to the cross and take our sin and weakness and failures upon himself. And so he loved them, John says, to the uttermost. He sees it in the Lord. And, and I pray that you see that this morning. He loved you first. This is what he says in Deuteronomy 7, 6 to 8 to Israel. Even back then, he told them, and they failed him, but he told them this. For you are a a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Isn't that special? Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, God says he chose you. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. All because of him. This is why John will write, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called what? Children of God. That is love to the utmost. And so we get this picture here that Christ demonstrates this utmost love ultimately on the cross, but here 
he's going to picture it when he's at this final Passover meal. It's about to be served, and Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And you know who else's feet he washes here? He washes Judas's feet. Judas, the enemy of Christ, the betrayer of Christ, even washes Judas's feet. Now, the picture you are to have here is unlike, unlike our Western modern tables that are on four legs and lifted up, in the ancient Near East, and they still do this, they would actually sit, um, the tables would be low to the ground, and they would sit on mats that are surrounding this lower table, and what they would do is their, their feet would radiate away outward, away from the table. They'd probably be leaning on their arm, right, their left arm, most likely, and they'd be, heads would be toward the table and their feet would be leaning out. And so at this meal then, as their feet are sticking out, you, you get the picture that John says here. How much did he love them? He says, well, during supper, during supper, when the devil had already entered to put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, you can then picture that Jesus rose from supper. That's pretty, okay, what's going to happen? He's laying out, everyone's there, they're getting ready to start their dinner, it's about to be served, and, and Jesus laying on his mat, the Son of God laying on a mat on the floor. <laughs> wow. He's laying down, but Jesus rises and he gets up, and then John says, and he laid aside his outer garments. That means he, he took off, not, not just a coat, but he actually took off what they had was these outer garments um, that, they, that he would take off, and he, he laid it aside. And then Jesus, and remember, they're watching this as they're laying there, and they're seeing Jesus do this, and then he lays aside his garment, then he takes a towel, and then he ties it around his waist. And that scene alone would have been striking to them. Jesus, their teacher and Lord, he actually, right before them, he adopts a dress of what you might see as a menial slave. This was dressed... That kind of dress was looked down upon in both Jewish and Gentile circles. And Jesus here does that right before them, and he ties his towel around their, their waist. And, and they're probably like, what's going on here, and what is he going to do? And before they could fully process all that Jesus was about to do, John says, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Would you wash the feet of your friends when they had been walking around in the dirt because they wore sandals, right? These are not... It's not like they had socks on and converse to protect their feet or whatever brand you use, right? 
It's not like they're pulling off and there's a little bit of, this is gross, a little bit of lint stuck in the toenail and he's just kind of cleaning it out, right? We're not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about these are filthy feet. These are dirty feet. These are dusty feet. And Jesus actually pours water into a basin and he does the most menial thing for them, the kind of thing that only the lowest of slaves would do. So some, some Jews insisted that Jewish slaves not even be required to wash the feet of others. This was reserved for Gentile slaves, and get this, or for women and children and pupils. This is the culture back then, okay? <laughs> Whoa, I wouldn't fly today. So, the, their, their perspective on the world then on how they see what Jesus is doing, it shatters everything. I mean, it shatters their view of how the world should be. Jesus reverses the roles. Jesus to be elevated becomes Jesus who then serves. The Son of God made himself nothing and took the form of a servant. And, and Paul explains this in Philippians 2, 6-8. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and here, washing their feet, ultimately being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the Lord testifies by this sign. He's showing them the love with which he embraced them is firm and it's lasting, so much so that even here now, before I go to the cross, I'm going to do the lowest thing I can right now for you, which is to wash your feet. Now, here's the interesting thing that happens here in this account. So after he does this, leave it to Peter for Peter to raise an objection here. And there's, there's ultimately what Jesus wants to do here, I think, is he wants to ultimately go to verse 12. And he wants to wash their feet, and he's going to say, do you understand what I've done? And he wants to draw out of this, this example of loving one another, and we'll get to that in 12 to 17, and serving one another. But what happens here, before he gets to it, Peter interjects. And, and Peter, who is prone to, blunt thing, to blurt things out, he is more prone to object to the things of, of, that the other disciples are probably thinking. He, he says here... In response to what Jesus is doing, as he sees it, he says, Lord, do you wash my feet? He, in other words, he's saying, Lord, you, this is not right. This is socially wrong. You, you can't wash my feet. And, and Jesus answered him, 
What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. In other words, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, stop focusing on the feet washing, Peter, because there is something else that I am picturing in washing you here that looks forward to the cross. And Peter doesn't get it, just like they never get it, right? They're very slow to get it. And, and so Jesus is saying, there's something greater that is coming, Peter, and you're focusing on the washing of, of your feet. You don't understand now, but you will understand. And the point that Jesus now is bringing, he, he's going to help them see in a symbolic way that the foot washing is pointing and anticipating the greater washing that's coming on the cross. And so he, he tells this to, to Peter. He tells this to Peter. And Peter's response gives rise to this, to this lesson. Peter's thinking, we should be washing your feet. And here you are washing ours. And so, knowing he doesn't understand, he, he tells him, you will understand. And then Peter blurts out, you shall never wash my feet. Peter's like, no way are you going to wash my feet. I cannot allow it, Jesus. You are too holy. You are too glorious. You are too righteous. I will not let you wash my feet. And, and this really is the, the, the heart that is in opposition. Not Jesus. Peter was a believer here. I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a believer. But that our sinfulness and our flesh sometimes reminds us of what we used to be. And usually in our heart, the opposition to the gospel, it, it really does come down to this. It, it comes down to the sinner saying, even if everything that you say is true, Jesus, you will never wash my feet. I will take care of myself. I will make myself clean. I will get myself into glory. Um, you, you, will, you will not be the one to wash my feet. Because, because receiving even the washing of one's feet is a sense of humility, isn't it? To have your feet washed, it, it really takes somewhat of a, of a humility that you have someone else serving you. To be the servant is the lowliest of all, but even to receive the foot washing, our pride sometimes gets in the way. And so here Peter is saying, you will never wash my feet. And so Jesus basically says to you, he, he's not saying here when he says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. He's not saying, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, if you're not obedient in this, you have no part of me. As if to say, let me do this humble act on you, Peter, if you want to be friends with me, or I'm going to defriend you. Okay? I, I, don't, I just I sometimes see those things. I don't really <laughs> practice it, but I've, I've heard of defriending. No, Jesus is pointing to the greater washing by his blood, and he's saying, Peter, unless I, the Lamb of God, take away your sin wash you spiritually, you can have no part of me. You cannot be in the presence of God unless your sin is washed. 
You cannot be in the throne room of God unless your sin is dealt with. Unless you are clean and made holy and righteous, Jesus says, you cannot be with me. And this is true for all people. No man or woman can be saved unless their sins are washed away in Christ's precious blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can for sin atone. Washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter doesn't get it. He doesn't understand the cross. He doesn't understand the atonement. But yet he says, you know what, Lord, if that's what it takes then, and this is the believing heart, he says, then wash not only my feet, but wash my hands and my head. Okay? Peter says, okay, the, the whole thing then. Now, so he wants to be with Jesus. So, so now here's the here's thing that happens. After he says this, Jesus makes this interesting comment to him. So, so in one sense, Jesus is saying, the cleansing I give is complete and it's final. But here when Peter then says, well, then wash all of me. Do you understand? Now he's saying, wash my head and my hands and my feet. You know, do the whole thing. Jesus says to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. He's referring to Judas. So what is Jesus saying there when he says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet? Here's the interesting thing about that phrase, except for his feet. There are, there are some manuscripts that omit that phrase, and it's actually not included except for his feet. And then there are those, the majority of manuscripts actually retain the phrase, except for his feet. So this is a little textual variance here in the passage, but if you omit it, the, the phrase translates Jesus as saying, a person who has had a bath does not need a wash. And, and so they'll make this distinction between those two verbs, to bathe and to wash. And so the idea then is that the disciples, Jesus is saying, had already had a bath and their whole body is clean. And so Jesus is telling Peter, you don't need, you don't need a wash because you've already had a complete wash. This act of my washing your feet symbolizes that you're completely clean and you don't need additional cleansing. Do you see that? So if, if Peter says, wash my head and my hands, wash everything, Jesus is saying, no, you don't need additional washing. You're already completely clean. This is if you remove except for my feet, okay? If you retain it, which I think is probably correct to retain the except for my feet, Jesus is saying something a bit, a bit different. The idea is that a person who has had a bath does not need to wash except for his feet. So in this sense, bathe and wash are synonymous. And it's not uncommon. John has done that elsewhere. But it's synonymous. And the idea would be this, Peter you do not need to be fully cleansed twice by me. The cleansing that I give you by my blood is a once and for all act. You are completely clean. You are, you are, you are 
made holy, your, your sins have been atoned for, like Hebrews says. There is no additional sacrifice for your sin. I've laid down, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to make atonement. I'm going to wash you. And Peter, you are fully cleaned. The foot washing pictures that. But in this sense, when Peter says, my head and my hands also, Jesus is saying, you're clean in the fundamental sense, but then he adds, but then he adds, Judas is not clean. However, in this life, the point is, you will still sin against me and need to be sanctified. In other words, in this life, your feet will still become dirty, Peter, as you walk along the way, and they still need to be washed. Do you understand? Beloved, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are forever forgiven. You are made right before God. Your sins are atoned for. There is no additional atonement that needs to be made. However, in this life, don't you understand? Don't you feel it like I do? That even when you leave this place, your feet are going to get dirty. And you're going to fall into sin. And you're going to do things that the Lord does not want you to do. And you need to have your feet cleaned. You need to be, you need, you need, your feet need to be cleaned. And how are your feet cleaned as a Christian? What does John say in John 1, 9? He says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to do what? And to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And, and what would happen to Peter a little bit later? He would end up denying the Lord. He would end up sinning against the Lord. And he would end up realizing what the Lord said is true. Though he made atonement for my sin, my feet need to be washed because in this life I continue to sin against him. And what does Apostle Paul say in Romans 7? He says, who will deliver me from this body of sin? The good that I want to do, I don't do. But the evil that I hate to do, I do. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am. You, you understand, our feet get dirty even though we are, have our sins atoned for. And the way to have your feet washed is to confess that sin before the Lord. Whatever it is, beloved, you're clinging to, whatever is ensnaring us, whatever it is that, that, that we are being stained and dirtied by in this life, our feet need to be washed. We, we need to come with humility before God, and we need to see, receive not only his perfect ultimate washing, but even in this life as we're being sanctified, we need to let go of that sin that ensnares us now, and we need to come and seek to have our feet washed. We, we need to be pulled out of the slimy pit or the miry bog. 
J.C. Ryle said, with the blood of Christ we must begin, and with the blood of Christ we must go on. So that's the Christian life. That's the Christian life that we understand our condition and our need for cleansing, and Jesus teaches this to Peter. Then he gets back, and we'll end with this. It won't be as long. He gets back to the real purpose of the foot washing now. He taught them about the cleansing, but now he comes back to what he really wanted to demonstrate to them in verse 12. And he says, knowing Judas wasn't clean, and now Judas receives this washing. It doesn't do anything for him because he's not clean at all, but the rest of them were clean. He says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, getting back now to his point, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? You and me profess him with our mouth as our Lord and teacher, do we not? You say Lord, you say teacher, and Jesus says, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, if I have made you clean in spite of your unworthiness and weakness, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. What he's saying here is not that we are to be a foot-washing people and going into the world and washing each other's feet all the time, okay? That's not, that's not his point. The point is you are to love one another in the same way that I have loved you. How did he love you? With all of your idiosyncrasies, all of your weaknesses, all of your quirks, all of your mistakes, all of the things that may irritate you about the person next to you. All of those things, Jesus says, in the way that I have looked at you and loved you, you ought to love one another. Beloved, we're a quirky church to the world. We come from all kinds of different backgrounds. We have all kinds of things about ourselves and our natures, and I know for a fact that there are things that irritate you about someone else here, right? I know it's true, and I know it's true because I have the, my own struggles. There are things in, in, in our church body with one another where you're like, oh, man, that's really 
frustrating or I don't like that or rubs me the wrong way. And Jesus says, look, look what I've done for you and how I've loved you. And he says, you are to love one another in spite of all of those things. You are to care for one another and even your enemies. As Jesus washed the feet of Judas, so we should even love our enemies, but primarily one another. Our pride, here's what Calvin said. He said, every man thinks more highly of himself than he ought and despises almost every other person. <laughs> wow, it's true. It's true. Oh, man, we think of ourselves so highly and we despise everyone, everyone else. This is the self, Andy, you were talking about in the first hour, right? This is how we are. And Jesus says, don't do that. I've given you an example, and you should do just as I have done to you. And then he says in verse 16, as if not to, just to drive it home, truly, truly, says I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you do these things, blessed are you if, you if you do them. In other words, he's saying, I've done this. You should be able to do this for one another. Let us be a church that exemplifies that. Let's remember that Christ's love for us was to the uttermost when we didn't deserve it. Let us remember that Christ's love for us washes us and cleanses us when we didn't deserve it. And then let us look at one another and realize that there, there but for the grace of God, I, I would be, I'd be lost and my brother and sister would be lost. We all need to understand that we're all sinners, we're all in need of grace, we're all in need of forgiveness, and we can love each other in spite of those weaknesses. Amen? Can you do that? Amen. By God's grace, we should. We should. He loves us. He loves us still. We are his children. And he is a good God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for, for washing us and for cleansing us from our sin. We weren't there when you washed the disciples' feet physically. We have never had you physically touch our feet and wash them. The most humbling thing to know, though, is that if we were there, you would have washed even our feet But ultimately, it's not about the physical feet. It's about what you have done for us by your blood. That you have washed us thoroughly clean by your precious blood. That you have taken all of our sin and all of our idiosyncrasies and pride and weaknesses and all of our shortcomings and our failures and you have taken them upon yourself on the cross and you have paid the price 
for them and you have shed your blood that we might be washed. Oh God, we thank you for the cleansing power of the blood of Christ, your Son. We thank you that you have redeemed us out of this present world of darkness, that you have chosen us to show us a love that is beyond comparison, to show us a love that we just don't see in the world and we don't show to one another. You have demonstrated a love for us that is beyond our ability to comprehend and even beyond our ability to show. And yet, you have called us to show that love by the power of your Spirit to demonstrate the same love that you have shown for us to do that for one another. And we pray, O oh God, that as a church, we would be a people marked by your love that we would love one another and bear one another's burdens, that we would be patient with each other, that we would be long-suffering as you have been long-suffering with us. We pray that we would do this for the glory of your name and also for the salvation of souls, that the world might come into this place and they might see our love for each other and they might wonder, what is this love that they have? And we might be able to tell them that it is because of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who loved us first. Help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we draw to